You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The word of the Lord. Well, Martin Luther once said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing breathing. We've been, um, we looked last week at the Lord's Prayer, and we're just going to keep it up this week, and frankly, we're going to bleed over into next week a little bit as well, because prayer is so vital in the life of a Christian. And here we have the will of our Heavenly Father, the one to whom we are praying, spoken through the lips of His Son, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and preserved for us by God the Spirit about how we are supposed to pray. And so it seems like we ought to pay attention. And in fact, um, today, when you think about prayer, uh, think about how the world talks about prayer. Um, We hear prayer and we think of it as, uh, or some think of it as strictly something that's almost like just um, meditative or, or centering or just calming, that prayer is just about me catching my breath. I feel better after I pray. That's not what Jesus is gonna say. I generally feel better after I pray, but that's not the point of prayer. We'll see what Jesus says here. Or the, the thing that's the hill I'm going to die on is when people keep saying, I actually had someone say this. I am, this is nobody from Rockland. I am sending prayers your way, which I do not want prayers sent my way. I don't answer prayers. Pray to God on my behalf. But it's almost like a, I guess I don't, I think it's just a soft way of not having to acknowledge I'm praying to God. It's I'm sending prayers. It's kind of a, I'm sending a sentiment towards you. It's like a way of saying, I'm thinking about you. So just a tip, don't send prayers my way. Don't send prayers to the people that you are praying for. Send prayers to God on behalf of the people. A Christian can say, I prayed for you specifically this. I prayed to God for you. I didn't pray to you. All right, that's enough of that. All right. Last week, what we figured out is we had more trespassers than debtors growing up. 
And then someone reminded me, they came up and said, I say reminded me, they said, um, I'd always say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And I was like, I didn't know there was a third option. So apparently there is. So some of you might just be sinners, I guess, or grew up as sinners. I don't know. We found out that, um, <coughs> that more people were delivered from evil than the evil one. Figured that out last week a little bit too. Um, and, uh, and, and we see this Lord's Prayer a couple times in the Scriptures. And we pray it regularly. We actually pray, when you, when you heard it read, you might have, if you weren't here last week too, you might have gone, that seemed like a shortened version of what we just said a minute ago with the kids. Well, we tend to use um, Matthew's Gospel, um, one particular text uh, remaining of Matthew's Gospel, instead of Luke's account of it. And we see these two different versions of it. One of the reasons we tend to pray Matthew is because it's longer, I guess, but it's also, it's the traditional one. And we know that we're united with the global church. We're united not just with churches all over the world that are saying this today and declaring this today, but churches that have gone before us, Christians from decades and centuries past that have declared this prayer. We're we're uniting in a sense um, with them. So you've got Matthew's gospel, which is in the Sermon on the Mount, So he's preaching and he says, when you pray, pray like this. And he says, don't be like the hypocrites. They go out in the street and they dress up and they use all these empty words. All they want to do is be seen by people. But when you pray, and then he gives the version of the Lord's Prayer we see in Matthew's Gospel. Now this one, you see, it comes in response to a question. So these are two different times. In Luke 11.1, you heard it read, Excuse me. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So this is in response to a question. This is what Jesus says. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Now, brief review from last week, but to get some caught up if you haven't got to listen to it. um, When he says, Father... When he is telling them, pray like this, start by saying, Father, Matthew's gospel says, who's in heaven, but Luke's version says, say, Father. That's your address that you give him. In the gospels, what we see, and in Jewish literature as well to that point, we don't see people addressing God as Father. You see Jesus addressing God as Father, but now, isn't it interesting, he gets to a point in his ministry where he is trying to tell his disciples, this thing that I do you're in his family too, you can address him as father. My people pray to him as father. And then it says, hallowed be your name, which is this word agios, which just means holy. And so he's saying, holy be your name. And I said last week, I don't think this is part of the address saying, father, holy be your name. And then thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But this is actually the first request made in the Lord's prayer, that he is praying, holy be your name. That he's asking, he's begging, he's saying, would your name be holy? Which can cause some confusion. Why do we need to make his name holy? Isn't it already holy? And so some other translations capture this. One says, may your name be kept holy. Or another one I really like says, may your name be treated as holy. Which is really what he's getting at. Holy be your name. It's... um, It's uh, Cyril of Alexandria, this bishop in Alexandria, the 4th and 5th centuries, had this illustration I shared last time where um, it's somebody who can't quite see, they're squinting a little bit, and the sun is just glowing in all its radiance. 
and the person is praying and saying, let me see the fullness of the sun. He's not praying, God, turn up the sun a little bit so I can see it, like increase the radiance of the sun. What he's saying is open my eyes so I can see the sun in the fullness of its radiance. And that's what he's saying here. God, you are holy. I'm not asking you to become more holy. What I'm saying is open my eyes, open the eyes of people around me that we can see you in the fullness of your holiness. This is why, I'll say this again, because I probably got more comments about this than almost anything I've said in six-something years, whatever it's been now, that I said it is right to be upset when people replace profanity with God or Jesus Christ, because that is his name being defamed. And I had so many people go, thank you. That drives me nuts. You're right that it stirs us, that it, that it um, feels wrong to us. That's one of the things that he's talking about here. And the holiness of God is vital because if he's not holy, none of the rest of this matters. Look, look at the next four things that he says. He says, your kingdom come. Then he says, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Lead us not to temptation. He gives us those four things next. So um, if he is not holy, none of the next four things matter. Your kingdom come. Well, why in the world would we want the kingdom to come of someone who's unholy? I'll just build my own kingdom, thank you very much. That means I get to be king. I like that. I get to be king. Who's going to desire the kingdom of an unholy God? In Matthew's gospel, on earth as it is in heaven, who wants things done on earth as they are in heaven? Let's just let's figure out our own way if God's not Holy. So if we don't get that right first, that one doesn't make sense. Then it says, give us our daily bread, which is a statement of trusting in him. Why would I trust in a God that might err? Why don't I, I might make mistakes too. Why don't I just trust in myself? Then I, have, then I have control. So if we don't get holiness right, that one doesn't make sense either. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. Why would I need to be forgiven by a God who is not holy? If he's not holy, if I don't see him as holy, then why would I ask for forgiveness from him? This is probably the one that plagues our world. This is the effect in our world of all these. I think that is the largest one. If I don't see God as holy, I make my own rules. I do not need to ask for forgiveness. If it's just my own little kingdom and not the kingdom of a holy God, then I've just sort of, I may, I may, have, I may have made mistakes, but I've just sort of disappointed myself. I've set a standard and I've missed my own standard. And really, we say we have transgressed against a holy God. Lead us not into temptation. What have we done with things that are tempting? Well, we used to go, that's temptation, that's bad. I want to stay far from it. And now we go, that's tempting. My options are I can fight temptation, I can stay far from it, or I can just kind of move the goalpost a little bit and not call it temptation anymore. I am my own kingdom. God's not that holy. And so what I can do is I can just move it and declare my own right and wrong. This is happening in our world as well. So why in the world would I care about temptation? I don't. I'm my own little king. But if God is holy, then all of those things matter greatly. That's why, if you want a very simple way to apply this, I'll come back to this a little bit later. But a great way to pray is, God, open my eyes like the, the person with the sun. Open my eyes that I might see the fullness of your holiness. All four of these, by the way, have big questions that come from them. He says, your kingdom come. 
And if you stop to think about it, isn't there a part of us that should go, didn't, didn't John the Baptist declare the kingdom and then point to Jesus and say the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Didn't Jesus say the kingdom is near, the kingdom is at hand, the kingdom is among you is a way you could think of it? And then we're, he says, by the way, when you pray, pray your kingdom come. I thought it was already here. Or you see, give us each day our daily bread. The one that struck me, give us each day. So you start out and you say, Father, and it's the idea of this good father. And then you say, give us our daily bread. And you go, why do you need to ask a good father to provide the daily sustenance that you need? Why does a good father need to actually be reminded of that? Forgive us our sins. Why do we need to ask for forgiveness? Wait a minute. I thought we were forgiven in Jesus Christ and what he's done. Are you telling me I've got to walk around and I've, when I sin, I lose my salvation and now I have to go, oh, forgive me. Now I'm a Christian again. Now I'm going to go get baptized again. All right, now I sinned again. Oh, forgive me. Oh, now I'm a Christian again. Now I got to get baptized. Like, is that what this is saying? Why do we have to walk around saying, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me? Lead us not into temptation. We're saying, God, don't lead me into temptation. And some of you know, and we'll talk about this next week, that in James, it says God doesn't lead us into temptation. Years ago, we talked through um, the Vatican was changing this language to get it a, a more updated translation. And I think it's actually a good thing trying to catch the spirit of it because this is confusing. God, don't lead me to temptation. And we should go, does God lead us to temptation? And if you look at the book of James, you see when you're tempted, you don't ever say, God is tempting me. God tempts no one. That's a tease for next week. We'll talk about that one next week. We'll talk about the second two next week. And so when we look at this and you go, honestly, like, like all these have little questions alongside them. And so the question becomes, why would I even pray this? I have a duty to do it, I guess. I'm just supposed to. So I'll just kind of go through and say the empty words is what they are if we don't even know what they mean. And um, the problem with that, of course, is Matthew's gospel, the context of it is he says, don't pray like others who it says prattle on who use empty words, but instead you should pray. And then he gives the Lord's prayer that they're supposed to pray. And so instead of just going, I think I sort of understand, we're going to take some time, talk about these two, understand at least these first two here today. What does it mean your kingdom come and give us Uh, each day our daily bread so that we can understand it and so we can pray it. All right, let's look at the first one. Your kingdom come. What in the world does that mean? Because there's multiple times in the scriptures where Jesus declares that the kingdom has come. So uh, in his first advent that the kingdom has come. So let me set it up like this. You've got creation over here. You've got this thing called the fall. You've got Adam and Eve, sin entered. And immediately after that, the promise that that serpent, Satan, that just deceived Adam and Eve, that someday there'll be one that is coming that is born not of man and woman, but is born of woman that will crush the head of the serpent. That day is coming, and the entire Old Testament is longing for the day when the Messiah will one day come. And then Jesus arrives on the scene, and in Mark's gospel, chapter um, chapter 1, verse 12, it says, the Spirit immediately drove him, Jesus, out into the wilderness. Listen to it describe the temptation of Jesus. Excuse me. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. 
And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. And that's all it says about the temptations. It doesn't get into all the details that all the other gospels do. In fact, you look and you go, and if you don't know the other ones, you might go, uh, who won? Did, Jesus, did Satan win? Did Jesus win? Because Mark doesn't really seem to say, but a couple verses later, it says, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news. Listen to what he says. And saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He goes out right after he, um, he, he shows when Satan is trying to tempt him and Jesus says it doesn't work and Jesus goes and he wins that battle. He comes out and then he grabs this bullhorn, this megaphone, and he says the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. The thing that you've been waiting for is starting. And so essentially what we have is somehow in Christ's first advent, his first coming, the kingdom of God, the promise from the Old, Old Testament is being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And there is an unfolding of the promise of the kingdom that we are waiting for until finally one day, the kingdom returns. Jesus returns and sets up his eternal, perfect kingdom. And so what he is saying to pray for is Pray for the consummation of the kingdom of God. Pray for the return of Christ. Christ is reigning right now. Christ is king. But right now you have Satan on his last legs, knowing that one day Christ will return and set everything right. This request longs for the reign of the evil one to finally be overthrown and for the faithful to be rewarded. Christ's ministry shows that the reign of God has drawn ever nearer and his healing ministry reveals Satan's power over the world is on its last legs. It's got its last gasp right now in the time that we are living in. So you've got the inauguration of the kingdom at the first advent and then finally this consummation at his second advent. This is good news. I'm sick of living in a world where it feels like evil is winning. One day it'll be dead and gone. Evil's days are numbered. And someday that kingdom will come. And the way it's described is by better than you can even imagine. It's unbelievable. The tears and the pain and the hurt that we feel, I say, not there. The lack of safety that we feel here when it describes the eternal kingdom, I don't think it's trying to be literal about what it's gonna look like, but it says, like you're only supposed to have one gate and then you just guard that gate. This says there's three gates this way, three gates this way, three gates this way, three great gates this way, north, south, east, west, and they're open all day. They're just, they're just down because there's no enemies that are gonna come in and that are going to harm you. He's saying that's the world that we long for. That's what's going to happen. That someday Jesus Christ will return and the things on earth that are evil, the things that are um, upsetting, 
the things that are unfair. Christ ultimately one day is going to set everything right. And so we pray, thy kingdom come. I'm going to read this. I was debating. I'm going to read it. I'm studying the book of Revelation right now, and let me just read a piece of it to you. And it's okay if, if some of this, um, if not all the images immediately, if we know exactly what they're tied to, that's okay. This is an image that John gets in heaven. It says, when it says, I, that's John. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written with, within and on the back, front and back. This, there's something complete about this. Sealed with the seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? This, this scroll that is open begins the final consummation of the kingdom of God, begins the return of Jesus Christ. And you can see the problem is he's going, who in the world could be the one to start this? Who is worthy of opening this that the final plan of God might come to fruition? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And John, it says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And listen to all these people. I'll just read it. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. So he talked about a lion and now he sees him as a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp. Get this imagery. Golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is showing that Christ is worthy to do this. And think about what you have. You have um, you have martyrs there. I don't know if I read that part. Sorry. There's martyrs there. There's um, people who have died for their faith. There's um, these angelic beings. There's these beasts. Um, there's others that are there that the elders, they're singing out and they're all saying, nobody can do this. They're looking around going, well, you're pretty great. You're pretty great. You're like a, you're this weird supernatural beast. Maybe you, no angels, maybe you. And they're looking around and going, nobody is able to do this. Nobody is able to restore the kingdom. And then it says, weep no more the lion, the tribe of Judah, the lamb of God, he is worthy. And then you see this unfolding through scripture of here he comes. I just said the hope of the world, 
is not a donkey or an elephant, but the one who's the lion and the lamb. That's what we need to remember from this. And in our lives, we trust the lion and the lamb every day. That's what he says. It says, give us each day our daily bread. And in Greek, it's called the present imperative, which simply means that it's like he's saying, keep on giving us our daily bread, meaning I'm coming to you every day for this bread. And this has been very spiritualized by some, um, some church fathers in history, Origen and Tertullian or some names you might recognize that have made comments like, give us our daily bread is about um, um, the bread, um, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So they say, this is the word of God that he's talking about, or it's been spiritualized to say, well, Jesus is the bread of life. So give us our daily bread. He's saying, you know, give us um, Jesus. Um, it's been throughout church history understood to be the Lord's Supper as well. And I would just encourage you to avoid those and take it at its very plain meaning. And especially um, based on what you just heard read, which is after this, he's going to tell a little parable about um, somebody comes and needs bread. So I take this as bread. And that's by far the majority position as well. Give us our daily bread. Like when you read it, doesn't that make sense? It's, it's the basic thing that I need. Please provide it each and every day. This recalls a gift of manna that was given to Israel in the wilderness. In the morning, you will be filled with bread, it says. And the bread would come and they would be filled. But I'm still asking, wouldn't a good father just provide this? Why do we actually need to ask it? couple things to note about the Lord's Prayer. Um, as good Westerners, oftentimes, don't we just go, give me my daily bread? And if you know what he's saying, he's saying, give us our daily bread. He's saying, followers of Jesus now, and then I would argue through centuries down, this applies to us, give us our daily bread. As the people of God, would you provide for us our daily bread? Needs. And one of the reasons I think it's here is a reminder to us that sometimes the way God might answer that prayer is through you. Like we have a ministry called daily bread and people bring bread and then, or people bring food and we put it in a freezer. And when people are in need, we go, no problem. We've got stuff and we bring it to them. One of the ways that God answers this prayer is through his church. And I, I do want to pause and just say, we have that ministry and you have this ministry of the church and then we have this other thing going on in our culture that says this. Times are tough, but I know other people that have it even harder. And so I don't want, and I don't want to bother anybody by accepting anything from anybody. Would you please get over that? God bless you. Would you get over that? And don't compare yourself to, well, they have it worse. I shouldn't do it. If there's something, if somebody says we would love to help meet the need, it's not pity. It's not charity. It's love. And when you say, yes, thank you, then what you're doing is you're essentially saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you exercise this gift. I'm going to let you do this thing that you would love to do. The, the times, I'll just say this, this does not apply to everybody, but I'll be personal for a moment. The times people have tried to help me and I've said, no, thank you. I've thought, it, I've thought about it in terms of, oh, I don't wanna bother people and other people have it worse. Really what it was for me, I think, I think 100% of the time was my pride. I, I didn't wanna feel indebted. And now people offer things and I'm like, yeah, great. <laughs> Yeah, and, and what happened? it's a blessing for them to be able to do something. Let us bless each other by doing this. That's 
the family of God. But the other thing about why we'd pray this is God is really calling us to a life of daily trust in him. Daily trust in him. Give us each day our daily bread. I would like to think that I can do this one pretty well, but then come over to my house sometime when the power goes out and watch me all of a sudden realize that all my little creature comforts I really, really wanted and I thought I needed, and I can't watch one of the 37 different streaming services that we're subscribed to because my internet's down and my power's down. God, give me just enough. I've quoted this before, but Proverbs 38 through nine says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? If I have too much, I'm not gonna pay attention to you. Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. If I don't have enough, I might be enticed to sin one way to go and acquire things by poor means that are gonna defame the name of God. Or if I have too much, I'll forget about you. This is, this is actually, I'm going to give the simplest application ever. Pray before your meals. And when you pray before your meals, maybe you've got some words that you say, but ask yourself this, when you're praying before the meal, is it, oh, we're supposed to pray before the meal, all right, and then let's pray. And you, and you kind of say some stuff. Like when that food is on the table, are you going, I did that. I, I worked hard. I, 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 um, uh, saved wisely. I'm the one that's managing the budget. I'm the one that's working. I am putting that, that is, I earned that. I did that. I'll tell you one of the most transformative things for me is to, when I stop to think, God is the one that has blessed me with all this. This on the table is the result of God's goodness. Amen. All of a sudden I'm going, thank you for this food. And I'm going, no, 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 serious. Like, thank you. Like, I'm really, really grateful. As opposed to before, I knew how to say thank you. But I, don't, I have to be honest, I don't know if I fully meant it. Pray before the meal and say, God, thank you. It's interesting going and serving in like, you know, third world countries or in even, even in America for that matter and going to where there's a lot of poverty and you see people and you go, oh, they just, they're so happy to just have like this bare minimum of food. And, and you go, oh my gosh, I want to give you, I want to give you so much more than that. I want to give you, I want to get you a bunch of food, a bunch of drinks. I want to help you with your health. I want to get you a job. I want to give you clothes. I want to get you some transportation. I want to give you a cell phone. Like I want you to be able to, you know, have the things that all, all the things that, that a lot of us have. And, and we just want to give, and sometimes you see it in your heart so moved and you just want to give and give and give. And then I think about like when we, when we get a society that is inundated and everybody's got a cell phone, what happens to busyness? What happens to your connectedness with other people? We can take something that's good. We go, I want to give this to you. And then all of a sudden you get families that everybody's in five different rooms doing this. You get people that are connected, but not really connected. You've got your phone. So when I text you, I expect to text back in about 30 seconds, or I'm assuming something happened to you. You got to constantly be connected. If I want to ask you about something, you should have your calendar right there so we can put it on the phone and we can all, do, so it can add to busyness. God blesses us with food and drink and we become gluttonous and we give to drunkenness. He gives us health, what a blessing, and we obsess with our bodies. It gives us blessing of a job and that job all of a sudden can never feel like enough and we just want the next one and the next promotion. 
or we, we get these clothes that we long to give to these people that don't have anything, and then we get clothes, and it's not as big a deal here, but I came from Dallas, where the, your clothes are your identity, and the labels you have are your identity. And I'm telling you, first and second graders walking around and noticing what labels the other children are wearing. We take gifts, we think if we just do that, then they'll be happy, then they'll be content, and then what happens is we start getting them, and we look around, and we see our great discontent. Give us this day our daily bread. Give me just what I need. Friends, we need to trust him every day. So I, I'd encourage you, a simple way to apply this is, what, what would it look like if the first thing you did every single day was something that declared your dependence on him, that acknowledged his holiness, and acknowledge your dependence on him. A very, very simple prayer that you can pray when you get up first thing in the morning. Remind me of your holiness today. Remind me of your holiness today. A day at a time. God, provide for me today. And before I get so upset with how everybody else sees you, remind me of your holiness that makes everything else fall into place. Father, as we come to the table today to be reminded of what you've done through your son, Jesus Christ, would you remind us of your holiness today? May we long for your kingdom to one day come, and we thank you for the opportunity to be a megaphone in this culture. May we never get too comfortable here, but always longing for the kingdom that awaits. Father, may we be marked as Christians, as Martin Luther said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Would we be Christians that are marked by prayer? And I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that we could very simply speak the phrase every morning, God, remind me of your holiness today. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, as we come forward to take communion today, I, I'm going to encourage you to do just that, to come forward and have on your mind, God, remind me of your holiness today. The holiness of God, the holiness of his son, Jesus Christ, made him the only one that was able to go to the cross and pay for sin. And he was with his disciples, and he took bread, and he broke it, and he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. And then he took the cup, and he poured it out, and he said, take, drink. <laughs> excuse me, take and drink. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. As we come forward today, would we be saying, God, remind me of your holiness today. <laughs>